A Tricky Kid Media original presentation distributed by iHeartRadio. Are we ready to party? Need something fun to listen to on a weekend night or a long drive? And or just want to get down at any time? You've come to the right place. I'm Tabby Cat, and you are in the mix. You've watched his Twitch streams, learned from his YouTube DJ tutorials, laughed till you cried during one of his many podcasts. Now it's time to just dance with DJ Tricky Kid. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of DJ Tricky Kids in the Mix. I'm your host, as always, Roy Turner, a.k.a., of course, DJ Tricky Kid. Hope everybody's having a fantastic summer. And as part of our cross-pollination for 1992, celebrating 30 years, if you can believe it, the 90s were 30 years ago, uh, we're focusing, if you know, on our main show, Tricky Kid Radio, whenever we do these 30, 40 years. Right now we're doing the 80s. Um, and so now we have uh, our show called Growing Up 80s and Groomed in the 90s uh, that we're doing uh, 1982. Uh, and also we're going to do some 90s stuff. Uh, so normally it would live there. But the topic we're going to talk about today is 30 years of Beastie Boys Check Your Head. So we're going to do it as a cross-pollination, meaning that like before, all that stuff just, you know, the retro stuff lived on growing up 80s and groomed in the 90s. But since uh, my DJ Tricky Kid in the mix uh, show is mainly about hip hop. We're gonna keep it there, and then we're gonna do coming the, this Labor Day weekend. We're gonna do a live watch along of the 1992 Royal Rumble for WWE for our wrestling show. So that can't live primarily at Growing Up 80s. It's gonna be on our This Is Wrestling program. So I thought, hey, what we should do? We should do a 92 episode across each one of our great platforms. We hope you're subscribing to it all. I'm so glad that you're here. Again, hope you're having a great, great summer. Um, a lot of people think because school's back in, uh, you can't, uh, you know, as an adult, you can't go by the school year, man. You got to go by the solstice. And we still got, Jesus, almost uh, almost three, let's see, um, almost a full month, September 21st. Um, is what we have left so let's make the best of it i'm going to be throwing a speaking of hip-hop a big party september the 9th here in dallas texas at the dave and busters uh doing a live uh thing there on north central expressway from 9 to 11 it's a free gig please come out and check it out it's gonna be the last big party of summer 2022 i'm gonna be doing all kinds of fun stuff including all three uh, volumes of my mixtape this summer so i hope you guys will come out for lots of surprises and lots of friends it's gonna be a good time but today we are talking about 30 years of the one of the greatest records ever in my opinion especially in the realm of hip-hop but it's just you can't even limit that like, speaking of cross-pollination you can't that's the spirit here you can't even limit it uh to just hip-hop because check your head is just such a a stew if you will it's such a a melting pot of all the things that inspired them that they've made their own from their punk rock beginnings to their hip-hop successes to you know adam yowks's foray into tibetan uh chants 
Uh, it's just, it's just, it came out of nowhere. In 1992, I turned 18. We, I should say, turned 18. So this was my senior year. It was just such a, a, a time of, of, of change and growth, and nothing scored that time. And I hope this happens for you in your life. When you turn 18, was you know there was just this one record that shaped it all for you because we had come from the world of, of metal. And I had we had moved uh, recently, and so I was at a new school and had new friends, and now I'm listening to new music, and nothing literally framed and scored that that magical time for me more than this record. So I had to find uh, some people from that time, and I'm so happy to tell you that our special guest this week is my old friend Kelly Willis who played a major role in all of that. And I hadn't seen Kelly, and my goodness, I haven't seen him in, in, in probably over 20 years. He had joined uh, the Navy shortly after, like in December of 92, and so he was away for a while and and kind of started a whole new life. And you know how things go with people. You kind of drift apart or you move around. I moved to New York for 10 years, so I found out he was literally eight minutes up the road from me, and I was like, man, uh, I don't want to repeat stuff. I want to save stuff for the for the main show with my talk with uh, with Kelly. Uh, but we saw the Check Your Head tour in '92 twice, and one of the nights, uh, of course, uh, was in June, right after the record had come out. It, uh, the record was released in April of '92. We saw the show in June, uh, and what was so cool is they were, you know, they were, you know, they they didn't quite have their the old handlers and and the old money behind everything where they were playing you know arenas they were playing these you know these clubs and unlikely clubs at that you know what i mean so you could kind of tell things weren't where they probably should have been uh that was lost on us at that, at that time but i mentioned that uh because we we would have made the, those shows without kelly uh he was just this little this wizard that just kind of you know pre-internet that kind of knew the ins and outs of things and he drove us there and uh, uh, to both shows, actually. Well, actually, you know, he, we rode with some friends on the second one in November with, with the Rollins Band. But it was just uh, one of those great things where, uh, you know, it just those people in that time. And again, I, I, I can't think of anybody more that was responsible for that uh, than Kelly. So I'm so glad that he, he's here. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. We missed the whole Paul's Boutique thing like a lot of people did. You know, there was no tour. There was hardly any promotion. And even if there was, when that record came out in 89, I was so entrenched in metal that it, in living in a small town called Crowley, that it wouldn't have, it would, my only outlet was MTV um, and like, hit parader magazine <laughs> and so if it wasn't there i i wouldn't have heard it so so it was guys like kelly that were kind of had their finger more on the pulse of what was kind of going on and a little more uh you know adventurous and uh and thankfully we met uh thanks to um uh, a, a mutual friend of ours so anyway uh i wanted to talk a little bit about uh this uh, check your head is check your head is their third studio album uh, and of course, it was released by Capitol Records on April the twenty-first. And let's see here, 
Uh, it was recorded at the G-Sun Studios in Atwater Village, it's in California, in 1991, under the guidance of, this is where they were, you know, kind of getting away from Rick Rubin, and they met this wonderful guy named Mario C. You probably go, Mario C., you can't front on that. That's Mario Caldado Jr. One thing that I, I really want to stress, that I try to talk about with Kelly, is that this was lost on us, too, that... You know, we were thinking, oh man, this is so cool. This is one of those back to basics, picking up their instruments thing. I, I had no idea at the time that they were a previously a punk band prior. The only thing I knew about the Beastie Boys was, the like most people, the fight for your right guys. That's all I knew. But what, uh, you know, we were like, oh, you know, we were just, we thought this was an admirable thing that they're, you know, uh, picking up their instruments again and starting over and making it real and, and, and shedding that old skin. But uh, what what really was going on is that they didn't have any money, and I mean, and they needed something new too. They they they, they weren't going to be able to make a Paul's Boutique Part Two, and probably didn't want to. But the, the but what's important to know is that what do you call it? Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Is that they picked up those instruments because they didn't have the budget. To the sampling budget that they had. If they had, maybe we would have gotten something a lot different. So serendipitously, we got Check Your Head, which is, in my opinion, not only did it just shape, uh, you know, one of the most important years of my life, the year I turned 18, but it's just in our DNA. And it just changed us. I, I mentioned in my chat with Kelly that when, when uh, we first saw the uh, the past the mic, the first thing on the first video, and we were, we were different people three minutes later. And it just dominated our conversations and the way we, we thought and and even dressed. I mean, it literally changed our lives. When those records, it literally changes your life. So I'm so happy to be celebrating 30 years of this incredible record and those two incredible shows that we saw uh, that year with uh, the guy that was kind of responsible for, for getting us there and, 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 and celebrating all that time uh, with us. I wanted to mention that the, for, for further reading, there's a great breakdown. There's a, a great book series called Check the Technique that came out in 2007. Uh, and it's one of the albums where they break it down like track by track. And, and I thought about doing the same thing here. Our evening began in Peter Seychelles' comfortable study in his New York townhouse, where the candlelight was just right, the hi-fi was in the background, and the wine was delicious. Naturally, I'll save the wine. Mmm, it does go well with the chicken. Delicious again, Peter. Well, as you heard at the uh, the beginning of the show here of our intro, of course, you heard the song Jimmy James, uh, which kicks off the record. Uh, technically, uh, for being completely uh, what you're actually hearing, the very, very first thing that you hear, of course, is this is a new song, uh, or this is the first song off our new album, of course. That being a sample from the live version of Surrender by Cheap Trick, of course, from their famous Cheap Trick at Budokan record, one of my favorite records of all time, as well as. So it was pretty cool that uh, they were like, well, you know, this is the first song on their new album, and, and to, to harken back to that. So what's important is I mentioned earlier, like I said, that, you know, what was kind of lost on us was that, you know, you know, the conscious decision to pick up their instruments was due to some sort of, um, you know, noble 
pursuit. I'm not saying that it isn't, but it was at a necessity. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't samples on the record. So I wanted to be clear about that. So I wanted to be able to go, we're not going to go track by track. Um, but uh, we are going to cover a lot of it here. A lot of the reason why I say, because there's like 20 something songs on the record and, and a lot of it is a lot of, uh, you know, like there's probably no reason to, to get into the biz versus a new other than to say rest in peace to my man biz. But anyway, all disclaimers aside, uh, Jimmy James is very, very unique because the term Jimmy comes from. Uh, who we're talking about, of course, is Jimi Hendrix. And you might recognize quite a few Jimi Hendrix samples in there. And it was designed to be a tribute to him, uh, actually, from Adam Yauch. Adam Yauch spearheaded uh, that thing. It actually started out as an instrumental track, uh, and with scratching done by Yauch, actually. Uh, and that version of the song actually appears on the Jimmy. There's actually a, an EP, because it was so many different versions of Jimmy James. It's more like a, you know, a single, but instead of being like, you know, an A side and a B side, there's a lot of versions of, uh, of, of Jimmy James that make up this, like I said, it's almost like a little mini EP album thing. And of course, you know, later on lyrics, uh, uh, you know, were, you know, were written, uh, but here's where they ran into a little bit of trouble. Uh, Hendrix's family, uh, of course, obviously owns the rights to, to most of his catalog actually denied the group clearance to use the samples. Uh, they were able to keep uh, Happy Birthday and Foxy Lady because the, the, the estate doesn't, doesn't, doesn't uh, own those. Those are some earlier tracks that were owned by, I believe, the Sony uh, publishing company there. But uh, they were determined to keep the song on, on. You know, This is how they envisioned the open the record, man. So they re-recorded Jimmy James, uh, actually using samples that were similar to the Hendrix one, and that's actually the version that ends up being released on on the record. So what you're hearing isn't exactly the samples, but a few months actually after Check Your Head was released, for whatever reason, Jimi Hendrix's family finally relented and gave them clearance to use the samples. Uh, so they were like, well, golly, you know, we've already done it. The record's out. But they were so into restoring the original vision that the what they call it now is the single version of Jimmy James was actually released uh, as the third single from Check Your Head and as well as a music video uh, that came out in August of 1992. <clears throat> now, the original version has since been used uh, on the, the compilation now, of course, The Sounds of Science and in other places where you can see it. The, the video we were talking about that, come, that came out in, in during the summer of 92, which we're talking about, um, you know, MTV and VH1 credit the Jimmy James music video. It's, of course, Nathaniel Hornblower, which is Adam Yauch's, you know, alter ego. Uh, but on the Sabotage VHS tape that I used to have that actually came out in 94, uh, the video was listed as being co-directed by Yauch. Uh, is Nathaniel Horn, uh, Hornblower and Lisa Ann Cabasa, who was an actress and also Yauk's girlfriend at the time. So Jimmy James is was very much uh, Yauk's vision. And if you've ever seen, uh, of course, the TV series News Radio, yes, there's a character named Jimmy James who's played by Stephen Root. And yes, uh, it does come, the inspiration does come from this song. The samples that you hear are Are You Experienced? This, of course, is in the, you know, single version, of course. 
Are you experienced EXP, uh, Third Stone from the Sun, Foxy Lady, Still Raining, Still Dreaming, Voodoo Child Slot Return? Um, and of course, we mentioned, of course, Happy Birthday. Um, and there's quite a few others in it, though, too. There's Rockin' It by the Fearless Four, there's Beat Bop by uh, Ramble Z and K, K Rob, uh, Fresh is the Word by Mantronics. Uh, and of course, as we previously mentioned, of course, uh, the uh, the surrender uh, by Cheap Trick. The next track on the album is a song called "Funky Boss," and it's a cool song. There's not a bad song on this record, but it's it's definitely uh, a track that is just it's just very repetitive. Uh, it's got some great kind of almost bossa nova kind of salsa feel to it, you know. But uh, not a song that you would ever hear anybody say it's their favorite. But it definitely makes up the tapestry of the, this record. Gratitude is a really, really neat, neat song. Uh, I, I have a, a deep connection to this song in particular. It was the fourth single. Um, excuse me. It was the fourth single, uh, and it was released in October of 1992. Uh, so that fall. So we got, you know, uh, previously, of course, you know, we'd had, uh, you know, past the mic that started the whole thing off, and then So What You Want... Uh, and that kind of that was in the you know the spring summertime, in the fall we, of course we got gratitude and then eventually Professor Booty. But there's something really really cool about this song. It's one of the only songs where you only hear one person singing, uh, where um, Horvitz, of course, Ad Rock takes the lead there. Uh, and and then again, here comes Yauk being so innovative. He uses this thing called a Univox Super Fuzz um, in his bass guitar. It's got that super sound. And the video, to me, is one of those songs where you can't separate the song from the video. I, I, for better or for worse, I've always thought that that's good and bad. Like, it's great that you get a visual, but I've also think that, you know, I would rather think about the memories that I have that that song shape versus what's already been decided for me uh, with a video. But this is an exception because this video is incredible. It's actually an homage to the 1972 concert film of Pink Floyd Live at Pompeii uh, and was recorded actually in uh, Rotorua, New Zealand. And it's just a great, it's just an amazing, I, I, have, I have no idea. Inspired, they were just so inspired. And, you know, and they worked on it for years uh, at that G-Sun Studios until they felt, felt like they had something ready to bring to the world. And my God, could you imagine sitting on a song like Gratitude for like for several years? And what's pretty cool uh, is, you know, we were talking about, of course, you know, the tour uh, with the Rollins Band that would come uh, that we would see a month after this single got released uh, with the video. The Rollins Band, they didn't do it like at, at the actual show. They were also inspired sometimes that they would include the song Gratitude with with kind of some improvised lyrics by Henry Rollins into their live set uh, during the 1992 tour. All right, so let me tie all of this together for you because I think that you'll, you'll find this fascinating if you're into the minutia uh, like I am. Check this out. Okay. So... <clears throat> As I mentioned, uh, believe it or not, that the Rollins Band actually covered Gratitude uh, in kind of, you know, it was like a regular deal. Maybe they had, you know, they were 
kind of jamming on it a couple of times. That I don't know. But what I do know is that it was captured uh, for all eternity in a, in a very special two-night concert. But let me let me start here for a second. We're talking about the summer of 92. We're talking about 90, 1992 in general. Here's what I want you to know and understand. that We want to talk about the touring of the of this tour because we mentioned before that it seemed like they didn't quite have their ducks in a row in terms of like you know having a good booking agent and they're taking these kind of weird gigs um in weird places meaning like you know bands weren't coming to the agora ballroom or the fucking sportatorium uh here in dallas so something was off but at some point the touring started to get a little bit better. They started getting on some bit better bills, and but but it was always uh, a little bit unusual. Um, so what I wanted to mention was, is that it was sometime. I guess it was. Excuse me. Uh, actually, not long after the show that we saw, of course, at the Agora Ballroom on on June third, nineteen ninety two. Later that month, the Rollins Band jumped on for just a pair of shows while they were in England. Okay. And I guess it was enough, and maybe, of course, Henry was already a fan or whatever and was digging on the record. I know that he listed Check Your Head as his absolute favorite record of 1992. I always assumed that it was because of them touring together, but maybe he was already down by the time, because I'm thinking, oh, he didn't hear it till he met up with them in November, but that's idealistic, you know, teenage shit. But the point is, is that so they go their separate ways for the rest of the summer actually uh, actually until halloween actually because the tour uh didn't start back up or they actually did like a like a full-on tour uh until uh halloween of 92 uh with in, in the indiana state fairgrounds and now the uh, Cypress Hill was not on that show yet. It actually was the lynch mob. And this is at the Indiana State Fairgrounds in Indianapolis, Indiana. But over the summer, the Rollins Band did not one, but two nights in everyone's favorite fucking shithole <laughs> uh, ever, uh, which is called the City Gardens in scenic Trenton, New Jersey. Now here's what's so interesting uh, about that that I that I love. I love I love the tie-in here, and I'm not trying to reach here, but I can't help but think that there's this can't be a coincidence. So let me line this up for you. First of all, if you know anything about City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey, it was just this kind of stop-off between like Philly and like New York City, or or bands that were coming from maybe down from. Uh, over from Michigan and Detroit. It was just a, another gig to get these smaller bands, another night of work and, and a little bit more payment and maybe another another meal. Um, but a notorious shithole. And the story just behind that club itself uh, it deserves... Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. <clears throat> just the story behind that club alone uh, it deserves its own documentary, and it did. Uh, and I believe it's called something like On the Dance Floor. Yeah, Riot on the Dance Floor. It came out in 2014. And not just for the crazy, insane, incestuous history 
Uh, you know, of course, you, you know, I have a personal history with Claude Coleman Jr. and the band Ween. Uh, this is where they had literally their first gigs. It, it was notorious for just the unsavory crowd uh, that that uh, <laughs> inhabited the place. And, I mean, you really were taking, I mean, you, it was a tough place. I mean, you were not, you know, there wasn't security. The cops weren't fucking, you know, weren't going in there. You were taking your, if you had a problem there, you were, you were, you were on your own. And legendary gigs from you know, uh, God, yeah, Minor Threat and 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 uh, all the old punk guys, and it was run by a by a mailman. That was it was his day job, and but he was his his uh, desire was to be part of this. But there's all this also this other crazy incestuous stuff like like uh, John Stewart, like the John Stewart from. Uh, you know the the talk show and all that kind of stuff. You know the political guy, funny guy. Uh, I don't know why I can't think of any of these fucking titles tonight. But you know the Daily Show. That's what I'm thinking of. Uh, he was a bartender there. Uh, what, what's his name? Uh, James Murphy, of course, from LCD Sound System. He was like a I think he was like a bouncer there or something. While he's like you know working with Larry David on the Seinfeld. Uh, pilots and shit. I mean, just a little, so much crazy history in that area. Well, I tell you that because, again, uh, while, during the summer, while the BC Boys were doing a separate tour away from the Rollins Band, uh, they did two nights here uh, on August 21st and 20, uh, excuse me, August, um, forgive me here, August twenty uh, second and the twenty third. That was again recorded for a live record called Electro Shock Therapy Conversion or something like that. Hang on, Electroconvulsive Therapy. Forgive me. Uh, that they released uh, about a year and a half later uh, in December of ninety three. And man, whatever you think about Henry Rollins or the Rollins Band, this version of the band. Uh, Jesus, we're just so insanely ferocious. And so, uh, during those two shows, at some point, uh, there's this like almost 30 minutes, uh, this long medley where they do, uh, you know, of course, Velvet Underground's uh, Move Right In in the middle of their very long song called Obscene, one of my favorite tracks. But in the middle of it, they do a cover of Beastie Boys Gratitude with just some kind of lyrics that uh, that Henry either made up on the spot or he had written them down before. But I'm going to play you a little bit of that. But before I do that, I want to tell you why I think they did this to line it up for you. So do you know this sample from the song Mark on the Bus? All right, get off the bus. You wild man, wild. That's insane. Of course you do, and maybe you've always wondered what the hell that is. Well, what it is is again uh, a very one of the most infamous gigs of all time, anywhere happened at City Gardens uh, in April of '96. Um, a very talk about unlikely pairings that uh, then, a, uh, when Henry Rollins was in Black Flag, uh, did a, uh, a duo gig with Venom. And their lead singer, Cronus, from Venom, 
had some of the most unintentionally hilarious uh, stage banter. He was just really in character. And this is 1986. I guess he's just really trying to sell the whole thing or he's believing in himself, whatever. But that's him saying, you're wild, man, wild. Well, just the stage banter from that show became one of the most um, bootlegged thing. And not because people loved Venom and they loved the music. It was because it was so goddamn hilarious. It was almost like the Jerky Boys, like this hilarious mixtape that got passed around and passed around. And the Beastie Boys, of course, uh, knew it uh, the, and everything else. And... Um, and, and everything else and chose to, to use that sample. So I thought that was just kind of cool that during that summer when the Rollins Band returns to City Gardens and all the history there and Henry's personal history, who was actually at that gig, they covered Gratitude. And I'm going to play that for you right now. You know, and speaking of the tour, like I said, you know, it, it kicked off, you know, May 8th, uh, 1992, of course, at Mississippi Nights in St. Louis. Uh, and again, the touring was always just such a, 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 a wonderful, this wonderful mixed bag 
uh, Kelly, you mentioned about Firehose earlier that had come through town. And there's another notorious story, as you mentioned, about me and our mutual friend Jason Warner. Uh, We snuck in and we were... We got thrown out uh, for underage drinking, and we uh, went outside and switched clothes and got back in, uh, and it worked. Uh, so how funny is it that uh, just a few months later, Firehose also toured with the Beastie Boys as part of this Firehose base head Beastie Boys package that did eventually find its way uh, to Dallas, but it was Firehose and Basehead, but now at this point... Um, it was now also with the Butthole Surfers and, oddly, the Stone Temple Pilots. There's a whole other story about that show because that show never actually happened because it came to this shithole called the Fair Park Band Shell here in Dallas, and it got rained out, and people started rioting, and it was that's a, that's a, that's a whole other story. But anyway, like I said, uh, you know, and then uh, starting on May 29th, that was the with the Fushnikens and Big Chief, uh, that lasted all the way until pretty much the end of June until it made its way to England. And that's where, they, of course, they met up with uh, the, uh, the Rollins Band. When they got back to the States uh, in July, uh, they brought along L7 during their Bricks or Heavy tour. And pretty soon, also, they added House of Pain, who were riding, of course, super high on their, of course, jump around that you still hear in every... Um, fucking car you know in the world and then there was actually was a uh a a one-off gig that august where the beastie boys l7 house of pain package was now all three the opening act for sonic youth who had a huge year uh in 1992 and it was in sonic youth but instead of house of pain or l7 it was luscious jackson which my goodness I would have loved to have seen that. I think that only happened for a couple of, of, of dates, but my God, how wonderful would that have been? Uh, then, of course, they go back to um, England uh, for the big festivals in August. But believe it or not, talking about, like I said, some some really uh, you know mixed bag gigs, there was actually a gig on October the 3rd of 92 in Glasgow where the Beastie Boys were in the middle of a gig between Megadeth and Pantera. Texas's own right here. Uh, so if you ever wondered if Pantera and the Beastie Boys did a gig together, the answer is yes. And then, as we mentioned, they hooked up, you know, that Halloween in Indianapolis with the Rollins Band and the Lynch Mob, which were soon replaced uh, by uh, Cypress Hill. And that was the touring for the Check Your Head cycle. All right. So still uh, here with us here, uh, going through track by track of the landmark album check your head from the bc boys from 1992 as part of our big 1992 series and we mentioned of course the rollins band doing this this wonderful live cover but they're actually not the only ones uh to to do it actually people actually even even recorded it uh refused uh covered this song for their demos collection and there's another punk rock kind of hip-hop band the transplants uh off their 2017 covers ep think about that what is that, 92, 2002? It's like 15, what? No, it's like 25 years after the fact. You know, somebody else is covering it. Uh, and there's also the, this kind of rap rock band called Bull Ball uh, covered it um, on one of their records uh, even a year later uh, in 2000. 
uh, in 18. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more Tricky Kid Radio. While we take a short break, let me assure you this isn't an ad you can afford to skip. Simply be entranced by my voice so you can hear from these great sponsors. And now, back with more Tricky Kid Radio. Once again, your host, Roy Turner. What's up? This is the infamous serial wax killer, Beastie Boys DJ Assassin, Mix Master Mike, and you're tuned into my man DJ Tricky Kid. Don't be a clown, don't sleep. Check it out, y'all. Anyway, let's get into it, man. I'm going to bring on my man, Kelly Willis, and uh, we're going to rock out, and we're going to chat and dive deep. Here's what's so great. I love about you being here. Yeah. Is that when you don't see somebody for a long time, it's the next day. When you're yeah. as close as we were, and hopefully we will be again yeah. in, the, in the times that we shared together. Yeah. It's like when you see them and during that time of your life, it's like the next day. Uh, I pride myself on having a great memory, but being here with you already, there's so much (laughs) shit that I haven't immediately that's coming to my brain like, oh my God, remember this? Yeah, yeah. I don't think any band or anything dominated my interest, my friend's interest. Yeah. Uh, that year. And so to celebrate 30 years of one of the greatest albums ever fucking released, ever, uh, that is just a part of, of my DNA and this gentleman's DNA sitting across from me, who I have not seen in, golly, I want to say 20 plus years. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the, the, the mighty Kelly Willis has joined us here today. Hey. Kelly, welcome to Tricky Kid Radio. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. Uh, for the mighty album, Check Your Head, let me <laughs> let me tell you my perspective. And, and let's give the people a little bit of art history first okay, as well. Yeah. So, okay. So my closest friend at that time, uh, of course, was Chris Todd. He was, yeah. And he and I, and of course our, th- our third musketeer, Steve Ainsworth, we grew up in this little, shitty little town called Crowley, Texas. Mm-hmm. And in 1991, I'm sorry, 1990, Chris had moved to the HEB area, yes. and a year and a year later, I followed suit. Yes. So it was around that time. Of course, he'd been there for a year. He had a whole new set of friends, and his first friend was you. Yeah, and you guys were like the biggest Metallica fans. Oh yeah, I, but that was what was kind of neat about it was it was you know we were we were learning we were growing. Okay. Yes, yes. You yes. know we were kind of in our little bubble and Crowley of metal, which yeah. I still love to this day, as you can tell by this oh, office. Yeah, yeah. So this is our senior year of high school, <laughs> but it was kind of neat though because meeting you and Jeff was your yeah. was your friend, and then uh, this was like you know I had moved to a new area. Chris was familiar, of course, his brother Corey. Yeah. But I was meeting you, and in, and that's what's so neat is we met so many people that I have individual friendships with. Oh yeah, you know what I mean? Like you, you're not Chris's friend. You're yeah. you're my friend too. You're yeah, our friend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we became family. Dude, we we had lots of concert adventures. <laughs> First of all, we're talking about Check Your Head. So April twenty first is when it came out. It was all about word of mouth. We had to look. Hey. When's the last time you've been to this facility? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was, you know, Dallas is like, uh, you know, people can get around with an app and it's so easy, right? But back in this time, you had to go by word of mouth and people were looking outside of the car going, okay, I think we make a right here. Yeah. Okay, I think we make a left here. Yeah. <laughs> but you were one of those wizards, though, that seemed yeah. to already know about everything before we did. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I was going down to... Uh, I was going down to Deep Elm, and also I was hanging out in those little punk rock places with the 
underage drinking and there were all these like warehouses and stuff and they would have little rock bands playing and stuff like that and so i'd go down to dallas quite a bit but this place this particular place was i think it's like pretty close to white rock or something man. no it was, off, it was off the northwest highway i still don't even know where it's at. <laughs> yeah i know i know so i want to go by and i'm sure it's torn down by now what yeah. kelly's talking about and what we're going to allude to here is that there is an infamous story in our history yep. where we saw the Beastie Boys tour in 1992 at a small club. And here's what's pretty freaking cool. Uh, the Beastie Boys came out with uh, Beastie yes. Boys' book. Have you nice. seen this yet, Kelly? I have not. Well, I can't wait to show you this inside because okay. if you can All believe right. it and hear about that tour and no about way. that night... Uh, Pass the Mic came out earlier that month on April the 7th, and I will never yeah. forget this. This is For me, this is like the day fucking JFK got shot, and here's why. Mm -hmm. We're talking about things changing in our lives. I had just moved to the area. I'm 18. That November previous, I just started my first job with Chris's brother, Corey, at yeah, Burger, Burger King. King. Right, yeah, across yeah, the street. Yeah, yeah. I, like a lot of people, you were a little. You were cooler than what we were, and definitely more aware. But <laughs> I, my time. I never, I was completely unaware of Paul's boutique. I can remember coming over to Chris's after me and Corey got off work. Yeah. And Chris was home. Okay. And he said, "Hey, man." He goes, "Come in here." He goes, "Dude." He goes, "Do you remember the Beastie Boys?" And the first thing I was like, I was like, you mean like fight for your right to party? You know, of course. Yeah. And I was super into that in that, like the that, seventh that first album was awesome. Yeah. For sure. But it was just, you know, but we weren't informed at the time that those guys were making fun of frat people. We thought we they they were those guys. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. yes. And so and, and, and a lot of people, keep in mind, there was no Paul's Boutique promotion. There yeah. wasn't even a tour. So it came and went. And again, and that was in 89. So for people that, in the time of no internet and no everything else, it was easy to have missed it. Yeah. You know? I can see that. So he, when he asked me, I was like, yeah, fight for it. He goes, man, check this out. He goes, they've been playing this new video, like every third video mm -hmm. on MTV. And we sat down and saw... The pass the mic video. We were different people three minutes later. You know, we didn't know jack shit about Paul's Boutique. We didn't even know it even... Now we're obsessed with it, of course. It's, yeah, it's now one of my yeah, favorite records yeah. of all time still, right? But I always liked hip-hop. And I did like the Beastie Boys and their kind of silly stuff. So I wasn't new to hip-hop. We started dressing differently. I cut my hair. After April 7th, it gets released. And then on April 21st, just a three weeks later, the actual album, Check Your Head, yeah, with that great Glenn Ede Friedman picture, you know, mm -hmm. of course he was the the, the the big hip hop and also the punk rock photographer guy. All those great shots of like Minor Threat and Fugazi and all that, mm -hmm. who you were already into. And yes, and, I was a big Fugazi fan. Yeah, but I'm telling you, we, we didn't. These were foreign words to us. We went to the record store. Somehow we learned the release date. Now we went from again from being somebody that earlier that year I believe it was Pantera's vulgar display of power mm -hmm. was like that was the last time we had been at the record store on fucking oh, yeah. release oh, yeah, day. Yeah, 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 yeah. So look so from February to April we're now Beastie Boys land. And I remember when we 
both got our cassette tapes. We got it on cassette that right next to it was a flyer for the show that was like, like, hey guys, since you're so into this, yep. this was at Sound Warehouse right across from the Northeast Mall. Yeah, you got an amazing memory. Yeah, at H-E- in the H-E-B area. Right. And the guy hands us a flyer. And that flyer also was on Chris Todd's bedroom wall. For the next, for like literally until he probably moved out of his parents' house like 10 years later. So we get the flyer. We So that's what's so funny about it is that we had a flyer so we knew when the date was. <laughs> we immediately go over to back then it was called Rainbow Ticketmaster. Yes, I remember this. And this was at Sears yes. right across from the, uh, the record store. To, to, you gotta include. Yeah. You planned this whole thing out. I mean, like we were gonna, you know, start at this time. Oh yeah, you know, I, I'm a plan. I'm a plan yeah, maker. Yeah, it's like we we pre-gamed the whole thing. Oh yeah, don't, don't, totally. No, don't, don't 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 forget that. I will. I will not. I love for you to 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 include it here. So we get our tickets, and we and we. It's like we can't fucking we can't wait we can't sit still yeah. and that's when I put that plan I was like we're gonna do this yes now yes. keep in mind now this is just so you keep in mind this was the show where we didn't have we have any idea who the openers were of course later on we, we learned yeah. once we got there it was Big Chief and the Foo Schnickens were the opening <laughs> acts if you remember are you a, are you still a true Foo Schnick <laughs> I don't even know who that is. is <laughs> I was all game for it, man. We did it, and we had Chris with us. We, we were just having a good old time, and we got in the car, and we went to the parking lot, and we're like, where did everybody go? <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so easy to park the car here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, now, there's one part I, I so want to I, remember good. I can't even remember who who discovered it first. Was it Chris or you? Or I was driving, so I didn't look at the tickets. Well, here's the thing. There is a there was a fourth person with us. Okay. You you remember? Uh, I can't. No. Okay. And I need I need to bring out this this photo up here. So there was this really good looking girl named Tony. Oh yes, I remember Tony. And I think she had like she was like this little Italian girl. She was I mean you see my wife, right? Yes. So yes. like my taste in women haven't changed since ninety two, and, and Tony was. Oh, yeah. My ideal. Now she wasn't having. In fact, I think I have a picture of her, me sitting next to her because as we went to a hotel party after after yeah, Chris was really good friends with Tony. Yeah, I was in love with her, and she wasn't <laughs> having. I mean, and I, I didn't. I, I wasn't. I didn't even try to hit on her because she was just too cool for school. And, and she th- was a pretty strong girl too. She was short, but. Oh yeah, yeah, tough girl. Oh, yeah, and did she even girl. have? Did she have dreadlocks too? Uh, no, she did not have dreadlocks. <laughs> she had straight hair. She, yeah, it was short a little bit. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Uh, no, but I'm telling you, at, at one point she kind of had like she kind of had a more of a of an urban uh, look yeah. to her at one point. But anyway, so somehow the four of us. Okay. We the day of the show, we are so excited. Now again, here's what's important for people to understand. I had maybe only had been to Dallas a couple of times and it was to see big rock shows like Metallica yeah. uh, and things like that like a, a Reunion Arena I'd never been to Deep Ellum I didn't have, even have a fucking driver's license yeah. I'd have my own car and this is what I'm saying we would not have been at the show without you Chris mm. and I didn't even have a car 
we'd never been anywhere. You're this wizard that already knew about the Dallas Observer, and oh, you yeah, were in on yeah, shit. Definitely. Yeah. You know what I mean? Us to get into a car and to <laughs> yeah. go to a concert yeah. on a Wednesday night, and we're going to a club now. Mike D says something about how like they were basically starting over in 1992. You know, they weren't playing the arenas. Yes. They were, and and here's what a lot of people don't don't get, and, and I want to get into with you pretty heavily is that. I can remember so cool that they mm-hmm. had picked up their instruments again and they were getting back to their punk rock roots and yes. all this and now yeah. they're playing clubs. Yep. What we learned later is that the reason why they picked up their instruments again was because they didn't have any fucking money. <laughs> Think about that. Okay? <laughs> Paul's boutique, the yeah. the sampling budget on that alone was a hundred and fifty thousand dollars in nineteen eighty nine dollars. Nineteen ninety two they didn't have any fucking money. So they had to pick up instruments. That was completely lost on us in 1992. Agree? I, I had no idea. It's right. Totally clueless. Yeah. So they're starting oh over. Yeah. They're playing a club. But he says something in that documentary where he goes, he goes, but those shows were packed. And what was important about the shows being packed is that the previous time they had toured yeah. was the license the ill tour. Remember, there was no Paul's Boutique yep. tour. Yep. The people that were coming to those shows then were all the shitty dickhead frat boys that mirrored what, what they were putting out. Now, somehow in 92, it was people like you. It was the cool kids. It was the Fugazi kids. And it was yeah. the, yeah. do you know what I mean? And yeah. I'm just like. It's the real Beastie Boys fans that show. Right, up. right. <laughs> but, but, but what were they, you know, it was, it was the people that never got to see the Paul's Boutique tour that, that had discovered it. Yeah, but I, me and Chris were not those people. You were. Yeah, yeah, I loved them. I loved them. You know, so so tell me this part here. So the four of us, like you said, we get into your car, <laughs> we travel to a bad part of town to this some the, nightclub. This is a dope story, man. <laughs> and we're all just sitting there going, I don't know, man. I know this is the right place. That's what Chris said, right? And uh, we look at the ticket, and we're like, Holy crap, we're one month early. <laughs> <laughs> It, it may have been more like two weeks, but who, who cares, right? And and Tony was. I think every time I tell a story, one month sounds better. Than it does. It does. It, yeah, yeah. We'll stick with one month. So, the, so you can see why we made a pact to never speak of this. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I remember that. We were just like so blown away, and we looked at each other and were like, "Dude, we cannot tell anyone we just did." This. <laughs> I know. And we were making jokes on the way back, like, "Hey, at least we know where the place is at." Oh, I, but this was a school night for for us. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And I mean, I had to ask my mom if I yeah. could go. I mean, I mean, it's I mean so we embarrassing young. going back to your mom and telling them, "Oh, oh yeah, we got there early. It was just a rehearsal." <laughs> I I think I I think I. Just crap. I think I think I just came in and just said, "Oh, the show was great. We're going again. We're going again in a month." You think you know, do the real one, right? That was hilarious. But I remember Chris, you and Chris were up front. Tony and I were in the back, and I'm just like, <laughs> "We're driving my mom's car, which is like a Mazda. Uh, I can't remember. It was like a four door Mazda car. Well, you were proud of that car. It was like, I thought I thought I thought I was like riding like in a nice car. Uh, I did have an accident on the way back from a punk rock show and so she wouldn't let me drive it anymore and I had to get my own car. That's why I had the Z28 Camaro. Oh, I mean, oh yeah. My yeah. dad wouldn't buy me a car, so he gave me a boat. And it was my brother who gave me the car. Because yeah. every now and then I, I'll tell the story. I actually told it to my kids. You shouldn't do drugs, kids. <laughs> because you'll end up like me going to a BC Boys concert a whole month earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. 
But I remember. I, I think I had a moment of you know coming to God with, with my uh, smoking pot. I, and yeah, these are not big venues. I mean, like later on, the the, the cool kids caught up with us. Lollapalooza. I think right. the BC Boys played Lollapalooza in '95. Right. right? Yeah. But the, before that, it was these small venues, yeah. big names. It was and awesome. you had already, because this is 92, you had already had been to the first Lollapalooza in 91. Yeah, yeah I and, remember that. I mean, I said, you were a wizard for us, man. You were our <laughs> gateway to so much of this. Yeah. So, I, and think about how we, if we hadn't bought the record and seen that flyer, we would have missed that show. Think about that. This is this little tiny-ass nightclub that we went to. <laughs> Off Northwest Highway, okay. called the Agora Ballroom, that was clearly a former strip club because there was oh yes, there yes, was no windows, right. and yeah. that's the parking lot that we were in. So oh we're in a gosh. bad part of town. Yes. What I want to move along is that yes, uh, the following week, the following month, whatever, we do finally get to the Agora Ballroom on June the third. <laughs> while this is what America was doing while we were there, if you guys remember that very famous scene where Bill Clinton came on to the Arsenio Hall show and played saxophone while wearing his shades that pretty much clinched his his nomination that, that and clinched his election that November. That's what everybody was watching on TV that night. That's wow. why it's part, part of our notes here. Okay. Okay. And so I want to first want to share my memory with you because I remember getting there early. We had no idea who the opening acts were. And again, yeah. they were big chief and a band called the Foo Schnickens, a very kind of southern hip-hop thing. And they had a minor little hit called, uh, I think it was called, Are You a True Foo Schnick? Whatever the fuck that means, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. I'd never been to a hip-hop show. I'd never been to a show at a club. I, I just turned 18. Mm-hmm. And I remember the Beastie Boys coming out. And, you know, all the, I don't know, a, I've never even heard Paul's Boutique yet. I know the songs from... Uh, uh, license the ill, but probably just the singles. Mm-hmm. And now I know every word to every lyric from Check Your Head. Oh, and yeah. I remember them coming out and starting with Slow and Low. That's, and from yes, License, and he, yes. he comes out and they slow go, you know, Slow low. and Low, let yourself slow go. go. Slow and Low, that. And, and then yeah. the, a bomb yeah. seemed to have dropped. And that was probably my favorite concert memory I, I, to this day. Yeah. What yeah, do you was, what, so? What do you remember from that? They played everything, man. They I know they didn't hold back at all. Well, that's why I have the set list. Thankfully, from the show in November, I do, I, I looked long and hard researching for the show, for the one in June that we're talking about that we were a month early for, and I couldn't yeah. even I couldn't even find one comparatively. But again, I have that crazy memory. I I've actually have been. They did the entire Check Your Head record, not in order, but they did literally all yeah, er, yeah. Er, er, twenty songs mm-hmm. that was Paul's boutique. Yes, and I didn't even know that the, it wasn't like I knew there was an album between License to Ill and Check Your Head that I never heard. I yeah. did. I I thought Check Your Head was the fault. Tricky Kid Radio is distributed by iHeartRadio and is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Google Play Store. Subscribe for free on the iHeartRadio app or on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to Tricky Kid TV on YouTube.com for a stunning visual look at all the fun we have here. Plus, exclusive content, short films, and more on social media. Our Twitter handle, at Tricky Kid 2 
type Tricky Kid Radio Podcast on Facebook and DJ Tricky Kid on Instagram. Speaking of which, subscribe now to Roy Turner's alter ego DJ Tricky Kid's amazing Twitch channel at twitch.tv for retro gaming, exclusive DJ sets, as well as DJ instruction and live streaming of Tricky Kid Radio, where you, the audience, can participate and interact with our guests. Don't miss a single screen, so you can be up to date on the latest on all things Tricky Kid. Subscribe now at twitch.tv slash DJ Tricky Kid. The next two tracks on the record are also still, I said, very, very cool. You know, Lighten Up is just this very kind of, you know, jazzy, very vibey, very moody. Doesn't It's kind of like Funky Bot. It doesn't really need a lot of lyrics. It's just you got to lighten up, you got to lighten up, you got to lighten up right now. Just kind of a repetitive kind of thing. And I love that, you know, that you shine like the sun. Uh, I love that, you know, but it's, again, it's, it's not designed up to be a lot of wordplay and a lot of rapping, but it definitely, you know, the album would be in, you know, in hindsight, it would be incomplete without it. You know, if, if I were to get a copy of it and it wasn't there, I'd be like, where, where is lighting up? Uh, finger licking good. I've talked to people that, that are, it's a, it's a bit of a, um, polarizing song. I don't think there's anything on this record that isn't just perfect. And, um, but uh, that, that's uh, that's another track that uh, that feels like you know it, it probably could have been left off, but I I still love it. But uh, you know, definitely not a single, but still something that again, like I said, I love everything uh, about this. Uh, and we talked, of course, earlier about so what you want. That's that's probably most people's favorite. Uh, it's just kind of got that. This is just so perfect. It's so quotable. It's just so funky. Every time you hear it, you're glad to be hearing it. You never tire of it. It's just, it's just perfect. It's just one of those, you know, a hit is a hit. And my God, that is a hit. Of course, this is the second single from Check Your Head. Uh, it was released on June 2nd, just almost, just uh, literally uh, the day before, I think, that we saw the, that first show there in Dallas. Uh, and again, like I said, there were samples on this record. Uh, of course, this one, you know, famously has "Just Rhyming with Biz" by Big Daddy Kane and Biz Marquee. You know, a lot of people think that you know that you know that the only Biz contribution. This is a uh, that's a big part of it. And also, I've been watching you by uh, the Southside Movement. And man, again, and the video is just so much fun. Uh, it's it's just so incredible. Of course, again, directed by Nathaniel Hornblower, aka Adam Yauk. Uh, they were in this kind of this kind of woodland kind of thing, and they're just kind of like you know, looking at the camera and just you know, it's just it's just so much fun. I mean, I mean, like that for I think a lot of people, the aesthetic of that was what sold it. They just looked so damn cool. I know I I was like I want to. Be like you go from like you know you like a band to wanting to be the band. This is what for me really was like. I want to be this band. Um, you know the sky had to. You know, and it was also so pioneering, man. You know, it was like you know it was kind of one of the first music videos to feature kind of like slow motion action, where the artist's lips kind of remained in sync with the soundtrack, and that was that's a mainstay. Uh, that would later be, you know, for music videos. And, you know, the sky had this photo negative effect um, and this whole illusion. Uh, it was just, 
you know, it was kind of like almost like an homage to, to this horror film called Wolfen from 1981. Uh, this infrared style and the cutaways and all this, you know, it, it very much looked like the movie Predator, uh, probably uh, on purpose. Uh, you know, they were always, always about, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, making these great references and paying homages and, you know, all their stuff has been pastiches to all their influences. But, uh, you know, I mean, what more can be said about So What You Want? And not to mention also the B-side, the skills to pay the bills. Uh, to me, like that is something that where I, I could have easily have switched out finger licking good for that one that is a hit i cannot believe that record that song didn't make the the main record maybe on purpose maybe they were like we want to save some some special goodness for the b-sides because there's they, they had so much material i mean i think there's like 16 b-sides that's a whole other record man you know but a lot of that stuff is kind of silly like booming granny and um what's the other one uh Honky Ring and Drinking One. I mean, these are clearly throwaway tracks, but Skills to Pay the Bills is a hit and as good as anything on this record. Uh, and of course, obviously, you know, we, we love the uh, the you know the Biz versus the Nuge. You know, they they went on later on. They would they would open the shows with just that that sample, and um, and of course, the great a lot of people don't also don't know this is that uh, Time for Living is actually a Sly Stone cover. You know, it sounds like, oh, this is this is the Beastie Boys getting back to their punk rock, polywog, stew days kind of deal. And, you know, and, and very much so uh, in, in a sense, because it also uh, is from the band Frontline, who was a total punk band so they just kind of mixed frontline with sly stone lyrics and stuff and just i mean god what a what a mashup you know the word mashup didn't come out until later but man they almost basically invented the mashup uh with time for living uh i'm gonna save something's got to give because that might be my favorite track on the record and you're gonna hear that song in its entirety at the very end of this very episode that's what's going to close us out so uh there you know and what's so neat about that song is that there were so much if, if the album seems a little you know weird and a little uneven at times because there were there were some stuff that they tried to record like this is think about think about paul's boutique and so they were doing with the dust brothers and the delicious vinyl, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mike, uh, his apartment, and and all that kind of stuff. There was some stuff from that apartment that made it onto this, and that track is one of them. That's why it sounds so blissfully stoned out and stuff. I just, I absolutely love it. Uh, then, after that, then of course you have, uh, you know, the a lot of a lot of really fun. Um, you know, skits that are very much almost in the vein of like the B-Boy Bully Bays that closes the Paul's Boutique record. Uh, very just short little burst of awesomeness. Uh, you got the Blue Nun. Now, Stand Together is a, is a legitimate song, and that's as heavy as it gets. And then you got, of course, instrumental stuff like Pow. Um, I love the Maestro 
uh, Groove Homes, Live at PJs. To me, there's all of that to me from like the Blue Nun through Mark on the Bus to me is is just one track to me. I mean, that's just how I always listen to it. To me, that's the sequel to B-Boy Boulia Bays. And we mentioned, of course, Mark on the Bus having that great Venom um, uh, sample from that tape that got passed around. And that is the only work that is entirely credited to, says Mark on the Bus, that's Mark Nishida, of course, Money Mark, uh, the keyboardist uh, on the record. And then, as we mentioned, they closed 1992 with Professor Booty, uh, another great, great track, of course, as we, as we mentioned. And then, but we're not done there to, in terms of the actual record. There are two more instrumentals uh, in threes and, of course, Namaste. And, I, and that is the first time I'd ever had seen or heard that word. And I think I called it something very mispronounced for years. I didn't realize that this was, you know, uh, obviously a thing of, of gratitude, you know, a way of saying gratitude, again, like they're single but in the Tibetan sense and, and you know we didn't I didn't know this immediately about Adam Yauk like like the rest of the world uh you know I said and I mentioned of course uh you know the Japanese bonus tracks I mentioned uh you know Mike D playing uh, performing Nettie's Girl on his birthday in Dallas um in 2009 they came out with again a remastered it had this bonus track that has like all those b-sides that, that you know that I previously had mentioned um but just what a powerful, unforgettable, just, it's such a great record that anybody, I hope for generations to come, it sounds, I hate cliches, but will just find this and go, what the fuck is this? This is like, this is so amazing. And typically when you put lightning in a bottle, you're not going to get it twice. And, and Paul's Boutique is such that that you couldn't even you couldn't even attempt to make a record like that with any amount of money. It's just it's just something that had to have happened with those people at that place at that time. And check your head is just is such an expansion on that. There, are, it's actually better songs and better songwriting, regardless of which one you favor. Uh, and it was very much the last, you know, you can also can say, because they, they went almost right back in and did Ill Communication. It came out two years later. Um, and I love that record too, very much so. But I I don't, I don't, not sure it gets any better than this. It definitely, you know, I think their favorite record was Hello Nasty. They actually came out in 98. That's also something that's crazy inspired. And I can't wait to, to do a whole special on that one too. That one clocks in at 20-plus songs and another 20-something-plus bonus tracks. I mean, just they had so much inspired material. It just was like the the Beatles. It's like the Beatles were only together for like six years and came out with like 500 songs, and they're all good. And people might think I'm crazy to compare the the B-Boys to the the Beatles, but uh, uh, in terms of of prolificness and, and just creativity and originality, uh, yes, there's a, there's a, haven't seen this yet. So what they did was they did Beastie Boys book. And then of course there's a thing called Beastie Boys story yeah. where they re, they did three nights at the King's Theater in Brooklyn. Uh, and where they, Spike Jones kind of just directed everything. And that's a special that's actually streaming on Apple TV plus right now. Okay. And again, um, there it is. No way. Right here. 
That is the only known picture out of all these years. That is from the Agora Ballroom on June the 3rd. <laughs> yes, I remember this. In Dallas, Texas. And if you yeah. look and if you look closely, bro, you can see us. No way. You, you, you can clearly see Chris Todd. Keep looking. Oh my gosh. You, you see him, don't Holy you? Holy cow. You see, see him, Chris, right? Yeah. And you see me right underneath him. Because I was shorter than he was then. That is hilarious, dude. When I saw this, <laughs> this night, had, keep on, this is one of the most infamous nights of our lives that yeah. has lived in my brain for 30 years. I knew I would never, ever see. There's no bootlegs. <laughs> you can't go onto YouTube and no, type in. This That's hilarious. Is that, that fucked is, up? That because, is something else, man. But I knew, like I said, when there's a picture in there, because we were right up front, man. There's Chris Todd. There's me right, right. And you can, I know which one is you because I know you and I was yeah. with you that night. But Chris is the one you can see the most. You can see him as clear as fucking day, man. Yeah, I can. That's hilarious. Isn't that amazing? Now, it is, uh, again, June the 3rd. And the summer of 1992, is it fair to say that there wasn't anything that was playing more in, in heavier rotation? Uh, I, I, uh, I do know, uh, this is kind of funny, too, um, that, of course, later, much later that year, the first Rage Against the Machine record came out. I didn't know who they were until I saw them open for House of Pain the following March. Yes. Um, they're, they, that, they're a pretty darn good band. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not bad. Uh, but that summer, uh, again, and it was so funny how they waited uh, from June from So What You Want. All, that was the video that was... So when I think of the summer of 92, I think of being at Chris Todd's house. Mm-hmm. I think of working... At Burger King, mm-hmm. I think of playing Street Fighter Two, oh, and yes. and I and I remember we had Two, two's good at Street Fighter Two. I'm well, is is, is, is Chung Lee is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, the gamers out there know that yeah, yeah. because well, you know too when he beats you, he's like, uh, 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 what just happened? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I, I I wasn't paying attention. Did I did I win? My smack talk has oh only gosh. grown even legendary. No, it hasn't. I'm, a, I'm. That's why I'm a popular Twitch streamer. And <laughs> it's important to me again to talk about the summer. And I have a few notes here I wanted to bring up. But I think probably one thing you're probably missing here is um, the way we partied was yeah. totally different. Yeah. Than. It was literally when you see like uh, shaking up beers and having a good old time, man. It, it was literally we were living the BC boy life. Every yeah. Time we party, man. It was oh, yeah. crazy. Oh I yeah. I remember a New Year's party, man, and we went over. To, uh, it was some guy's house in Hearst. It was always some guy's house yeah. in Hearst, right? Or usually, usually, so we get a hotel room or something. Sometimes yeah, too. And, yeah. And we would just you, you see the videos where they shake the beer up and spurt it everywhere. That was us. We were it doing was, Beastie Boys License the Ill stuff. I know. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. And it was almost like, uh, you know, the Beastie Boys taught us how to party, man. It was, yes. It was literally like that. It was it was insane. And Fill people in on how fucking out of my mind wild I was in 92. Yeah. He was he, was, he liked to party, and then he'd bring the facts. And we're like, what, what, where did you get all this knowledge from? He was always someone who contributed, like, unknown facts about music artists that we had no idea 
It, you were quite trivial back in the day. I, I still am, man. It was and I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I, that was I, awesome. I just I, I live for that kind of stuff, <laughs> yeah, you know. And yeah. that's what was so great about meeting you because you knew all this stuff that I didn't, and yeah, I loved yeah, yeah. learning that, you yeah. know. Again, about bands like you know that inspired the Beastie Boys, like Minor Thread and Fugazi yes, and things yes, like yes. that, you know. So that summer, my first exposure to Henry Rollins, he released Same. a record called Shirtless. You're right. <laughs> He'd released a record called The End of Silence. Yes. And this is, again... And this, you got to remember, uh, just set the stage, right? I mean, Black Flag, lead singer, he's doing his own thing here. He was he was paving his own path at the time. Yeah. Totally. I, I, I was wondering why. Yeah. I need to put my headphones on. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's he, had, he had like a mix of fans, right? He had his old fans and he had his new fans. But keep in mind... In 1992, I'd never yeah. even heard of Black Flag. I didn't even know he was the singer Whoa. for Black Flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I, I think... knew was this, was that he had a, an album that came out called The End of Silence. There was a video for the first single called Low Self-Opinion. Yeah. And he came, you know how, how those radio stations have those kind of like all-day festival things? It was, like, it was called Edge Fest, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, I remember that, yeah. And it, was, it was during Easter, right? <laughs> I, I think so, right. <laughs> yeah, was... And and it was and he played there, yeah. and I had just seen the video. I had just bought Low Self, uh, End of Silence. Yeah. And I was, and speaking of pictures, I was just then starting to take my camera, my little pocket little fucking camera, yeah. to shows occasionally. And then I would develop the film three years later. I thought you would enjoy this, that that summer of 92, when Henry Rollins performed at that concert, uh, let me see here, where is it? This is actually from, and he included it in his book, this is actually from yep. Starplex. <laughs> In in the summer of '92, just a few yeah. weeks after we saw that first Beastie Boys show, yeah, okay, and I'm actually the one who took that photo. This oh is, my! Gosh. This is my original photo. That's awesome. From that, and when he was looking for submissions, um, I've interviewed him several times and everything else, and I and he was looking for submission. I told him I had some stuff, and I sent this to him. He was a pretty tough guy. Yeah, he was a pretty tough guy. So anyway, uh, so I, I mentioned that to you, not only to show it to you, but to tell you, though, that it would have never in my, by the time we get to the fall, mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, nothing was in he more heavier rotation in 92, especially that summer, than Check Your Head, except yeah. in definitely number two would be End of Silence from the Rollins Band. Now... It may seem elementary now, but in my mind, in 1992, mm -hmm. the Beastie Boys CDs were over here in the record store, and yeah. the Rollins Band stuff was over here. For me, it was like I booked this fucking tour. Oh, wait. Never, in mm -hmm. my mind, the Rollins Band touring with the Beastie Boys would yeah. be like Whitney Houston touring with Slayer. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not going to happen. It was strange, wasn't it? It was like, what's but, going on here? But... At the it, same time, seeing, perfect. It, yeah, yeah. And then I was, of course, you know, was super into Cypress Hill, who were on their first tour. Yes. Now you, you know? got to remember, you guys were. I think you guys had a little bit more into the Cypress Hill than I was. Yep. And for me to see it was just, I, I liked it. it was, I digged it. it was, I think it was the first time ever listening and actually seeing him live. Yeah. Well, to to <laughs> this fucked up, broken down old wrestling arena. <laughs> On November the 19th, it called the Dallas Sportatorium. And again, it was on Mike D's birthday, Cypress Hill's first tour. And I remember this. 
now it was scary because the show now understand it had like bleachers yeah around this little makeshift little ring mm-hmm. and during Cypress Hill everybody back then you know you do the jump up and down thing you know that you know sawed off shotgun hand on the pump and yeah. all of a yeah, sudden yeah. all the people down front <laughs> fell through yes, the fucking wooden this. floor I remember this so does Henry Rollins because I I, I don't know which one it is just keep playing. Yeah, I don't know which. You guys okay? Yeah, I don't know which one it is, but but Henry Rollins has this great thing where he publishes his tour journals every year, and when he publishes one from '92, the very first thing I did was I went to the pages to find the Dallas entry. Yes, and I and I read it so many times I can almost can can quote it to you. He said, he goes, I spent all day in some fucked up old wrestling arena watching the guys load the uh, the gear in. He goes. He goes, people all over the place, stepping on my feet. He said, he goes, during Cypress Hill, all these kids like fell, uh, fell to the floor. Henry Rollins was a poet, by the way, guys, if you don't yeah. remember this. Yeah. He wrote books. He yeah, was, well, we saw one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was amazing. And he knows he spoke in word tours and uh, stuff. I mean, like straight up poetry. Like he would actually publish it. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. He, but, but, he, would, but he would publish his tour journals like, like, yeah, like, yeah, like every single yeah, day. Yeah. And then he goes, and I didn't realize this, that it was actually billed as a co-headlining thing. It wasn't like the, oh, the Rollins band was opening really? for the BC Boys. It was built as co-headlining, meaning that they were each going to get to play an hour and a half. Mm. And if you remember this, because of the, of the situation on the, over the, the fucked up floor, mm-hmm. and cyber, by the time Henry Rollins had even started, the place was in fucking shambles. Yes. And who was the voice of reason? Who came out by himself to calm the crowd before Henry Rollins took stage. Do you remember? I can't remember <clears throat> this. I think it was... Who was it? It was Adam Yauch. That was Adam Yauch? Ad- Adam Yauch, of course, MCA, and he was just now starting to do his, what we now knew later was his whole kind of Tibetan kind of monk, you know, yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. And he came out, and Chris was obsessed with Yauk. Like, he, that was... Yeah. Everyone's favorite BC boy, of course, is Mike D. Yeah. But his... But Chris Todd's favorite was Yauk. Okay. And Yauk walked out. It wasn't like, you know, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Yauk. You know, he just grabbed a mic. He saw a situation. Yeah. Yeah. And he came out and just calmed everybody. Yes. Now, I didn't realize that I had gotten cheated out of 45 minutes of Rawlsman, or I would have been a lot fucking madder <laughs> about it. <laughs> But what I do remember, I can remember being on the bleachers and singing every word to Henry Rollins' set. And Tony, that girl, was down here and she was watching, looking at me. And like, he, how does he fucking know every, do you know what I mean? And I can remember wanting to impress her, like, yeah, I know know the fucking word. Yeah, yeah, you know know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and then. Uh, I remember Henry Rollins. I remember again. Of course, he performs in just in a pair of shorts, just kind of like what you saw yes. in in that photo. And and it was hot. I mean, the guy was sweating. Oh God! It was it's, it was like a damp, steaming, steamy, hot. Just, like you could smell everybody's armpit. Yeah, but but, but, but imagine that. You know, Back then, that was the thing, you know. When you go to a show, I mean. But this was unusual. I mean, it, this was this was yeah. People were picking up blood. Well, yeah, but there wasn't. This wasn't a concert venue. Again, this was some little fucked up building that they would have, you know, wrestling in, and 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 they just they they had no permits. 
again, they had no booking agent. That's why they Wait. were doing. That's why they were doing gigs like at the Agora Ballroom. That's Wait. why they were doing gigs like the Sportatorium. They were starting over. They had no booking agent. Oh. Nothing. They had no money. But it was awesome because. We but got it was this, fucking awesome. <laughs> I'll never forget. See them, right. I mean, like. Well, yeah. so if they play the big venues, whenever you see a big venue, you really don't get that, you know, close up and, you know. Or what you don't get is anything is possible. Yes. Okay. Yes. And in my mind, it's kind of like, I feel like that was like the last time I, I mean, I saw the Beastie Boys many, many times after that. Yeah. And I did get to see them play this kind of crazy, um, kind of like hotel gig up in, when I first moved to New York at the Highland Ballroom, actually. But, oh, um, wow. but. That was the last show that just felt fucking dangerous, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I remember this kid gets up on stage. Because back then, people were stage diving at every concert. They'd seen it on MTV. Literally. People were stage diving at Dixie Chicks concerts. I mean, you watch Woodstock 94. They're stage diving during Crosby, Stills, and Nash, mm. who went on right before Nine Inch Nails. So anyway, I remember a guy gets on stage, and he's right in front of Henry Rollins. And before he can jump off, Henry Rollins grabs him by the shirt and pulls him right to his face. Oh, yeah. And goes, don't get in the fucking singer's face when the fucking singer's trying to fucking sing. Yes. And toss this kid. And then the Beastie Boys come out, and we thought that all hell hadn't already broken loose. Dude, everybody started jumping. From the bleachers. (laughs) The kids had already had fallen through. They'd already had fallen through the (laughs) fucking thing. And... Everybody was like, I know what we'll do. And I was part of it. Yeah. Let's dive from these bleachers <laughs> onto it. That's crazy, man. This is a set list that is so insane. Hey, you mentioned earlier about how long they, they would play. And how I mentioned earlier, too, about how I used to wear this, this band called Ween that would do these three-hour shows. Back then, the Beastie Boys, it was like seeing, instead of getting out there, you know, you see hip-hop show, and most hip-hop shows are very brief, by the way. They're only about 45 minutes long. Yeah. And even at this show... Which could have ended... Wait, 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 45 minutes long? Typically, most hip-hop shows that we go to, like if you go see Wu-Tang, like you mentioned, yeah. you're, it's 40, 45 minutes. That's why That's why they book like four or five of them. You okay. see what I'm saying? Well, we ended up getting a sweet treat, man. Well, well, the B, no, no, the BC boys, like I said, are different because they would do these two, three-hour shows. Yeah, yeah. And this show could have ended before it even began. Yeah. Technically, if this had been in a regular venue, when that shit went down during Cypress Hill and then the people fall into the floor, that's it. The show would have, would have ended right then. No Instead, way. here comes here yeah. comes Henry Rollins and, tra- and the fucking place goes crazy. And then now here comes the Beastie Boys yep. who had the rowdiest fucking fans. Uh, it was different than the, than the beer-shaking licensed to ill fans. They were more of these like kind of punk rock Mm-hmm. Scary yeah. fans, yeah, right? We were amongst uh, different folks. Right? Yeah. yeah, I remember that. So I just kind of wanted to go through here. Look at this dream fucking set list here. <laughs> Jimmy James, of course, <laughs> it starts off the, the Check Your Head record. Yeah. Of course, it, you know, and this is where I'm. I'm now. Shake you, your rump. That was awesome. Yeah, but see, see what I'm saying? Like I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know Shake Your Rump. This made me go. I want to <laughs> know that song. This is what led me to Paul's boutique. Oh, okay. Okay. Then pass the mic, and then we go back a little bit for for the new style. Even. Way, way back with Egg Egg Raid mm-hmm. on Mojo, uh, a minor threat cover, and then they you know they pick up their instruments. They do uh, a minor threat cover, Transit Cop, and in threes. These are all um, you know punk rock songs. Yeah, more Check Your Head, Live at PJ, Stand Together, 
then they go back to poshing effect from the first record, and then here here is this great oh, medley they did of Paul's boutique, Egg, Eggman, yeah. High Plains, Hello Brooklyn, back to Check Your Head, Finger oh, Licking yes. Good, back to to uh, Paul's boutique with Looking Down the Barrel of a Gun, and then I remember this so well when they did the whole rhyming and stealing, they did that hold that. Alibaba and the 40 Thieves, dude. That was dope. and the yeah, whole was place was just going crazy. Yes, and then this great check your head uh, medley of, of instrumentals, pow, namaste, mm-hmm. and then of course something's got to give. That should have been the concert right there, but since it was Mike D's birthday, <laughs> he came out by himself, remember, and did Nettie's Girl <laughs> and Michelle's Farm. And then they joined him because he sings lead, of course, on Time for Living. And then we get the maestro. Then slow and low. Skills to pay the bills. And then so what you yeah. want with Cypress Hill. Yes. And that ended the show. It was, it was for me, that was just a concert, right? But yeah, was, looking back at it. It yeah, was the greatest night of my fucking life, yeah, man. You know? It was pretty crazy. And then that December... Uh, was the fight was the uh, the uh, I'm sorry the one two three four was the fifth and final single was released from the record uh, on December the fifteenth. This is how we closed out 1992 yeah, yeah. with Professor Booty, which was the beginning of that song is awesome. From the Warriors, he goes, "Yo, man, I don't want to be hanging out with them dudes." He goes, "I hear she's been giving that stuff out to all of them graffiti feet, guys." Yeah, Yo, shut the yeah. fuck up, Chico, man. Like, you know, we didn't know what that was then. We know it oh, now. Man, it's awesome. But but make no mistake about it, man. Like I said, they had to go back to their roots. They had no fucking money. So they picked up their instruments, reinvented themselves, and gave us one of the greatest years of our life. It was awesome. It was incredible. And when they played, man, it was a lot of... It was like, bam, in your face. Everything I wanted in the Beastie Boys was that night. I remember it. It was, it was pretty cool. It was, it was fucking awesome. I think when they started playing, everything... Maybe the reason why I totally forgot about that Ford, you know, crashing out and all that is because the piece of was so damn good. Yeah, right, right, right. Or, or, or maybe you maybe you buried it somewhere yeah, deep in your yeah. psyche. But I remember leaving that show in that van, and I don't remember who this guy was, but there was a friend that we haven't mentioned that was a friend of theirs, and he almost looked like he could be like the male version of Tony. He was kind of like Hispanic, perhaps. Um nerdy looking guy almost looked like millhouse but like black hair glasses tiny guy but cool as shit man uh, i think you were talking about his name was rico or I, something, something like that, like that. Yeah, he, he played drums a nice and nice kid him and sanders were buddies right he was eric sanders friend yeah. and and i think wasn't also ian mccarty was with us i feel like too Yes. And I remember on the way home, I don't know what I was riffing on, but I was riffing on something and everybody was screaming, laughing at whatever thing I was, you know, me and my little, I riff on something funny and whatever. And, but what was funny though is it probably, you probably just making fun of the floor dropping and, or just something, I would have done something that they were like, like, they still come up to me and tell me, dude, my sides were fucking hurting. But that what made me kind of like, we yeah. talked about at the very beginning how we became, you and I became friends. Yes. Because of that night, 
I became friends with all of them in a way. I never really did the individual thing yeah. uh, like how you and I are. But I'm saying I made an impression with them that they never forgot it. Because yes. every time they see me, they go, remember that night? I've never laughed so much in my life. And like, and, and I, I don't even remember what it was I was riffing on it that they, that they thought Dude, it was so funny. Do? I can't remember. It was, but it, mm. it was something. I was riffing on something. It's just one of my things. But, but I remember that car ride home being so happy and we were in laughter yeah. and joy and I think friendship we, we we were doing so good we totally forgot going to the bc boys like a month early for the other venue <laughs> yeah well that was earlier that, that earlier of course yes. that that the beginning of summer of june 3rd yeah. we talked about how we spent that summer and then how we spent that fall with the Beastie Boys and Rollins and Cypress Hill and again how we ended the year mm, that show. with Professor Booty. <laughs> well, I think it's booty. I could do that all day. <laughs> I want to thank you, my friend. I want to thank our friends. That are... Dude, thanks for taking me back. I, it's almost like we went in a time machine, man. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm telling you. I'm going to have to get that book, though. Oh, no, you got to get this book. Oh, yeah. And again, want to thank my man Kelly Willis for uh, for coming out uh, to our studio today, and uh, and and just what a time machine, man! I, I couldn't have done it without him, and I wasn't going to do it without him. So I've been been thinking all year about how I was going to do this, and uh, there were a few people I had on the list there, uh, but I'm so glad that, that Kelly was uh, able to make it. He was at the top of it. So once we got him, we were off to the races. So. I uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, time machine. If you have never, if you're listening to the show and for some reason you have never heard, check your head. I can't imagine you hadn't, but I, I, I hope it's one of those things where, like, when you hear about something and you go, "Oh my God, I've got to, I've got to fucking know about this now." So, anyway, uh, rest in peace, to Adam Yauk. I was, uh, it was my pleasure to have uh, celebrated the 10th anniversary of MCA Day uh, in Brooklyn. I'll be back next year as a performer. And every year that they'll have it, I will be a part of that. This band has given me so much joy and pleasure and knowledge and laughs and, and connected me with so many different friendships. And uh, just I, I could not overstate that the, the, I speak their language fluently. Uh, so once again, I hope you'll join me, of course, in person uh, on September the 9th. At uh, Dave and Buster here in Dallas, I will be doing a live watch along um, for the 1990 Royal Rumble with Rick the Sign Guy from WWE on September the 4th. Check out my Twitch page at twitch.tv/djtrickykid. Uh, and again, we got a lot of some more summer left, so hope you're jamming out to my uh, mixtapes that I've been putting out uh, once a month uh, this entire summer. This has been one of the best summers of my entire life. I hope it is for you as well, and I'll see you next week. Next week on Tricky Kid Radio. This has been a presentation of Tricky Kid Media Originals, distributed by iHeartRadio, created and directed by Roy Turner, edited and mastered by Marcus Miller, theme music by The Buck Pets, original score by Jocelyn Hunt, artwork by Antora Sandy, marketing and PR by Francesca Miles. Tricky Kid Radio is hosted by Roy Turner with introductions by me, Dana French. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week.